All right, all right. Welcome to the JP Money Podcast. Today we are talking about the millionaire mindset. What are the steps you need to take in order to become a millionaire? We're going to talk about things like your income. We're going to talk about things like controlling your expenses. And we're going to talk about your investments. All right. This three pronged approach is really important for uh, building wealth. And so we're going to talk about that today, get into the psychology of money and get into how your path to being a millionaire might be completely different than somebody else's. And that's okay. Let's get into it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, before I start today's episode and we get into some numbers, I wanted to share uh, an important story that uh, I think really demonstrates the power of what we're going to be talking about with the millionaire mindset today with a story from the Bible. Uh, This is in the book of Daniel, uh, if you're a biblical scholar, if you're into that kind of thing. And you go back several hundred years prior to, um, you know, the BCE era. And in... 500 to 600 BCE, sometime around there, there was a king. This king's name was Nebuchadnezzar, like many kings of the day. Uh, you know, he he thought himself more powerful than God and, you know, reigned with his iron fist and did what he wanted to do. And after Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his son, Belshazzar, took over the kingdom. And, and I, again, I apologize if I'm mess, messing up some of the details here because I am I'm not a priest. I'm not a a biblical scholar by any means. And uh, Belshazzar one day throws a feast for uh, a bunch of people to kind of celebrate his kingdom, celebrate everything that he felt he has accomplished and he has done. He has together all of these folks. At one point during the feast, Belshazzar notices this, this hand, this basically invisible hand writing on the wall, this inscription uh, that I can't read. It's in a different language. I don't want to even try to interpret it. And it, it spooks him. It freaks him out. And so, of course, he sends his servants to locate people who can maybe interpret this writing and tell him what it means. Long story short, a man named Daniel comes around. And uh, Daniel is an obedient, uh, extremely obedient, uh, humble servant of God and realizes that he gets his power and his strength from God and not from any temporary king. So he reads it and it basically says, uh, you've been found wanting, your days are numbered, and your your kingdom is going to die, essentially. And by the end of that night, Belshazzar is killed uh, and he loses his own life. This is actually where we get the phrase today. If you've ever heard anybody say, I can read the writing on the wall, uh, which is essentially like something bad is going to happen. Like if you're dating someone in high school and uh, you think that you're significant other is going to break up with you and they start to break up with you and you say, okay, I can read the writing on the wall. Just do it. Just break it off. That's essentially what Belshazzar is is being told by Daniel through this writing, you know, that came from God. And so it's a really important story because Belshazzar got away from himself. He didn't think that God should be attributed for the power that his kingdom uh, had. He thought he should be attributed. Okay. In other words, we call that idolatry. He felt that he was more important than God and he worshiped other things than God. And 
of course, as humans, we're all fallen and, and susceptible to sin and have these egotistical moments where, where we think we're more important than other people or other jobs or whatever it is. So I'm not saying that Belshazzar is any different than, than you or I are. But the concern here is in our financial lives, we sometimes get away from ourselves. We think that we should be attributed for our own success and that we, you know, are better than other people because we make more money. Conversely, sometimes we feel the opposite. Sometimes you think, I don't make as much money as the, the person next to me. The guy that lives next to me, he's a software developer. He's a, he's, he's a tech star. He's a local celebrity, whatever it is. He makes five times much, as much money as I do. I'm worthless. My point of this episode today is to break that mindset, to not compare yourself to other people. And maybe it's not income. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you've been just desiring having kids your whole life and you and your spouse just just can't get pregnant. You just can't figure it out. You don't know what's wrong. She blames herself. He blames himself. You go to all these doctor's appointments and it's crushing because you've built your your life on having kids. And then it doesn't happen or it can't happen or you have to look into other avenues and it's very stressful. Okay. It's one of the dangers of placing your faith in the wrong places. This concept of idolatry, this concept of my kids will bring me importance. My job will bring me importance. My spouse. Feeling that way about things that that are important but can't bring you fulfillment or one of my favorite words, one of the things that everybody seeks to have is contentment. These things can't bring me contentment. They won't bring me contentment. They're all good things. They help. They do bring happiness, but they don't bring sort of an eternal, sort of, sort of a more uh, ingrained sense of happiness and peace. And that's what we call contentment. So get off the Instagram, get off the Facebook, get off the whatever social media site or whatever mindset you have that draws you into too much comparison to other people and get rid of that for a few minutes. Because the good news is everybody can become a millionaire. All right. Now I know that's a bold statement to make. I know that the income inequality in this country is out of control. That's true. And it's a more difficult path for others. No doubt about that, but it's possible. And we're going to talk about the different ways it becomes possible today. The name of the book is Shoe Dog uh, by a very rich man named Phil Knight. And uh, he wanted to start a business and he wanted to, he's good um, you know, at selling things. And uh, this is at a time when globalization isn't quite what it is today. It's kind of a big deal to travel around the world back in the 1960s. And he flew into Japan and met with a big business owner of this big tiger shoe that was uh, a really big thing in, in Japan, but really not used very much here in America. And he talks his way through, just just bleeds confidence, okay? Just is able to meet with some of these higher-up executives and start as just a humble shoe salesman, essentially, trying to get this Tiger brand into America. Eventually connects with, after many years of friends, family, local banks. I mean, he went through tons of trials before. Of course, you know the story in the, the 60s and 70s and 80s that the Nike brand blows up and becomes a huge global corporation, one of the highest earning businesses in the world today. 
Uh, and I like that that book because it shows, okay, these are people that have no problem going into debt, making risky investments because they feel like they're always going to be able to make money no matter what they do, okay? Especially when they're younger and maybe don't have a lot of responsibilities like kids or a big house or something like that on their mind. Uh, and that's just not me, but there's a lot of people that have done that and have been very successful, okay? Maybe there was a time in my career where I felt like I could not care too much about financial decisions because I was refereeing all the time. Like if I went and wasted 200 bucks, you know, buying myself a fancy dinner at the local Applebee's, getting a little crazy, I thought, you know, I'm going to go make 200 bucks tomorrow night refereeing this basketball game. So it's no big deal. Okay. That's maybe a little bit of the mindset I had back then, but obviously Phil Knight stories on a much larger scale. Uh, and that obviously has its dangers. I mean, if you, if you totally fail, you're, you know, you've got a debt, you got a responsibility to other people. It's, it's terrible emotionally and whatnot to go through a bankruptcy, but um, that's what he did. And it worked out for him now. And so I just want to clarify that Phil Knight and the, the shoe dog memoir uh, the Nike brand, and it never actually went bankrupt. Uh, there's tons of hustlers that probably do go through a bankruptcy when they're taking out tons of debt and leveraging themselves. Now, obviously, his business grew at an incredible rate, and he's got a couple different quotes just sharing that his constant stress every day was liquidity. That's why he was going to family members for loans and investors to try to get capital, to try to get money, liquid money flowing into his business to help satisfy his his creditors, uh, the people he owed money to. And so it worked out great for him because the brand became so popular. He connects with the Oregon track and, and field coach, Bill Bowerman, and uh, they're able to set up a connection uh, at the University of Oregon. And and the rest is history. And now it's a, a billion, probably a multi-billion dollar business. Okay. But it all goes back to his roots of believing in himself, recognizing the financial danger that he was in when he went through this process, uh, but was able to eventually be successful. And, and that's a unique story. That doesn't happen for a lot of hustlers. And obviously this is a much larger scale, but I found it interesting that even Phil Knight himself stressed about this every single day. And this wasn't for like a couple months. This was for like two decades, the 60s and 70s as this business is growing. Uh, yeah, so he never actually went bankrupt, but thought about it on a daily basis. He's a one in a million, you know, one in a hundred million story, but uh, people do that on a smaller scale and can be successful because that's how their mind operates. They're hustlers, they're, they're movers, they're shakers. They don't mind making risky moves. They don't mind taking out debt. They run the numbers and they, they figure it out and they make it work. But if that's not you, that's fine. It's not me either. So a second set, uh, a type of investor uh, would be what Christy Shen calls just an investor. Okay, These are people that are really good at understanding financial instruments and how they operate. Maybe they understand real estate really well. Maybe they understand uh, stocks and bonds in the financial industry really well. You know, they listen to me talk about a 6% return and they're like, that's just stupid. That's just laughable. Who, how, you know, you can't, you know, you're hardly even beating inflation with a 6% return. Never in my 14 years as an educator have I seen such behavior. And from young ladies, I got parents calling me on the phone asking, did someone get shot? I ought to cancel your spring fling. Now, I'm not going to do that because we've already paid the DJ. I could get a 20% return year over year, no problem. 
Okay. And that's fine. And maybe they can. And if you can, great. It makes sense to do that. But I'm not going to compare myself to them because that's not how I operate. All right. Maybe they're really comfortable real estate investing. They're really comfortable uh, using stocks and bonds and uh, investing extremely heavily into them, maybe leveraging themselves a little bit. They're not quite as risky and uh, willing to go into debt as the hustler might be, but the investor uh, uses money to make money and can do it really well for a long period of time. And then the third type of investor, the optimizer. I talked in the intro about how there's sort of a three different legs to the tripod for, for financial considerations. There's your income, there's your expenses, and there's your investments, right? What you do with the difference between your income and your expenses. And the optimizer tries to optimize all three of those. They try to make as much money as they can with their education or skills. Okay, that's the income piece. The expenses piece is definitely something I've talked about before. If you go listen to my first episode, budgeting. Okay, this is where you try to cut costs mercilessly on things that don't bring you value, as Ramit would say. And so you're trying to optimize the amount of money that you're spending, right? If you have a subscription uh, to Sports Illustrated magazine and you don't read Sports Illustrated magazine, well, then that $5.99 monthly expense has got to go. If you've got Netflix subscription and that's not really something you're using very much, it's got to go. All right. If you've got uh, two big gas guzzling cars and uh, you only use one of them 90% of the time, well, you might want to sell that other car. Uh, you know, that way you're not paying insurance on it and you're not paying for unnecessary gas that, you know, maybe you could have used a more fuel efficient vehicle. All right. Maybe you got a bunch of whole bunch of extra space in your house. You know, you're not using it to rent it out to anybody else and you never use it for you or your household or you don't plan on having more kids and you're not going to need that extra bedroom. Well, maybe you sell your house and you move into a place with a little less, uh, a little less space, a little less square footage uh, to maximize the amount of space that you're using. So these are optimizers. These are people that that are sometimes nerdy, get into their spreadsheets, get into their uh, apps. So I talked about the Every Dollar app, and they think through very thoroughly what they're doing as far as investments and uh, cutting expenses go. Okay, and then their investments are quite boring. All right, there's a reason why I don't talk about investing a ton on this show. Uh, although I do have a show coming up with uh, guest speaker, Mr. Dan Bohannon. Once again, he's going to talk about his investment strategy a little bit. The investments are, are quite boring. We're talking index funds that are low cost, that have a proven track record of success over long time horizons. And this is why I think it's important to not compare yourself to others because having any one of those three personalities, okay, the hustler, the investor, or the optimizer, you can be financially successful. Okay, and maybe it's it's important or smart to have a little bit of all three of those. Okay, this is why I talk about the financial framework and why that's so important. Okay, things like getting out of debt, things like having a high savings rate. Okay, things like having goals. Because for me, being an optimizer, I don't necessarily want to be an optimizer for the next sixty years. All right, if I can do that for the next 10, 20 years, then it's okay to be the the hustler, the investor, or try to take more risks with things because your framework is in place and has been generating returns and compound interest for you for a long time horizon. So, you know, stay off that social media, stay off that, and not even just social media, but 
if you're like me, I get these intrinsic feelings sometimes, feelings that I don't necessarily share with many other people, but I can't help but feel them. And I'm a pretty emotionally strong guy, I think. All right. I don't, I don't, you know, cry myself to sleep every night or, you know, seek out help from a million other people. But I'm a man enough to say that I fall trapped to the comparison game too. All right. My car's got a little over 200,000 miles on it. I've got a, a, a brother that's, I want to say like four years younger than me, who's got a way nicer car than me. And so when I drive into my, my driveway back home and he's there and I see my car and his car, I'm like, man, he's got it made. He's got a nice car. I don't. Something like that happens all the time. And it doesn't have to be something that you're showing like a car that other people see. It could be things on the inside, right? It could be these feelings of doubt like, oh man, in my job, I make X amount of dollars. My friend with the exact same skills that I have makes twice as much as I do. Like, what did I do wrong? I feel like a failure. Okay. That's the mindset that will cycle downwards and get you and will steal away from your future goals. Okay. You got to take that mindset. You got to flip it around, do a 180 and recognize that what you have is significantly better than probably most people on the planet. Okay. I was reading a book earlier today. Uh, by a Barack Obama, his Promised Land biography, autobiography that came out a couple of years ago. And, and in it, he said just a very simple quote that he tells his, his two daughters or would tell them a lot when they were growing up. And that quote was, enthusiasm makes up for a host of deficiencies. Enthusiasm isn't something that requires a college degree. Enthusiasm isn't something that you have to have a certain skill to, to have. Enthusiasm is something you can choose to do. Okay, so wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whether it's with your marriage, family, your job, your religion, your friendships, um, your your side gig, whatever it is, you have to approach it with enthusiasm. Now, in Christy Shen's book, Quit Like a Millionaire, she talks about how the success that a hustler or investor has is not necessarily reproducible. You can't just mimic and copy their strategies and all of a sudden you own a multi multi-million dollar corporation selling shoes as well. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Okay. Now the the good news is the third option, the optimizer, it is reproducible. It is something you can mimic and copy. Now we might have different income levels, but you can still save a percentage of your income into long-term investments and given the market's rate of return whatever it is, you know, you'll be a millionaire whenever that time comes, whenever that math adds up. Maybe it's in 10 years, maybe it's in 40 years, but eventually you'll get there if you work long enough and contribute long enough. Uh, that's why, you know, I and, and I'm sure most others who listen to this podcast are chasing down that sort of third mindset, the optimizer. Now, I don't want to discourage you if you're a hustler and you're the type of person to go get it, do that. That's how my little brother Austin is. And uh, he's been far more successful than I ever would have been or am, financially speaking, uh, given the fact that he's a hustler. He can just go earn money. He can work hard. And his job was set up for that. We did an episode with him. If you haven't checked that out uh, yet, go check that out. It's the one with, with Austin Parks. And he talks about how his commission sales job kind of drove him to sell these windows and doors in West Michigan. And he made a lot of money doing it. He was very successful. Okay. But for most uh, of the others of us that maybe need a more stable income, that optimizer option can be really can be really great for you. And 
you know, it doesn't take much with a long enough time horizon to become a millionaire. Add back together or something? Why do I want this? Yeah. Because I want to make bank, bro. I want to drive a Range Rover. When I plug in the, the numbers into my compound interest calculator on my phone, it takes 35 years to become a millionaire if you can contribute $700 a month. And that is with a conservative 6% rate of return. So, you know, most of us get paid twice a month. That's about $350 per paycheck, whether it's in a 401k, Roth IRA, whatever your investment is, if you can get a 6% rate of return and just do it for 35 years, ignore the news, ignore the fluctuations, you will be a millionaire. Now, being a millionaire 35 years from now is not the same as being a millionaire 35 years ago. Uh, I understand that, and hopefully you do too. But that is a significant chunk of change that if you have sitting in your bank account, continuing to earn compound interest for you, you're going to feel very secure about your retirement years, especially if you have listened to my episode about Social Security income and you know knowing that you're going to be receiving some benefits there as well. So if you have that mindset that $350 per paycheck invested will make me a millionaire in 35 years. Okay. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're 22 years old and you're first starting your job, okay, 35 years from then puts you at what, 57 years old? My math is right. Okay. It's probably not, but let's hope that it is. Okay. So 57 years old, you could be a a millionaire with a, a very simple, and I didn't say easy investment strategy, but simple investment strategy, putting those monies into low cost index funds that will grow over time and are shielded away from significant fees and are shielded away from taxes if you're investing them into a tax advantaged account. Now there's going to be some trip ups along the way. Okay. What, what happens with millionaires and people who are successful is they've built habits into their life that protect them from the variety of issues that will pop up throughout your lifetime. Okay. And I talked about in my first episode, budgeting, budgeting miscellaneous money every month, because you're going to have, um, you know, as Dave Ramsey says, your daughter's going to need a prom dress, you know, that, that comes up when she's in her teenage years. That's going to run you a couple hundred bucks or whatever it is. So you always want to set aside your monthly budget, some miscellaneous funds for things that'll pop up. But other habits, such as investing, and in the investing world, we call this dollar cost averaging, DCA, putting money consistently into retirement accounts, which if you're employed and your money is being invested through your employer at the time you get your paycheck, you're already dollar cost averaging. Congratulations. Nice job. But that's one of the habits that will make you a millionaire. And the problem is with compound interest is you just don't see it or feel it right away. And you probably won't see it or feel it in the first 5, 10, 15 years, okay? But once you get a couple hundred grand in there, then you start to see, oh, wow, and it almost becomes addicting. You're almost like, I can't imagine spending my money elsewhere. I have to put it into these retirement funds because look at what it does, okay? But you're not going to see that in your 20s and 30s, really, until you get a significant amount of money in there. And that time horizon is huge. And if you go back and listen to the eighth wonder of the world episode, you'll see what I'm talking about with compound interest and how it just takes time for it to get to work. But some of those simple habits are just showing up to work and doing your job, staying away from things that you know are going to tear your life apart, right? Divorce. Divorce is very expensive. 
okay, not just the lawyer fees, but all the additional splitting the income and the emotional impact that that comes from that, okay, which I know is a whole other beast uh, with things that that maybe lead to that. But that's just an example of something you want to avoid, if possible, because it will tear apart at your financial, you know, success and the habits that you've set up. Taking care of your health, all right, as my friend Dan says, health is wealth. If you're able to, you know, get a low cost gym membership or use your resources, if you got a yard or whatever, and take care of your body, because in your 50s and 60s, you don't want to be visiting the doctor all the time. And, you know, all the money that you've earned is now going to the doctor's office and the healthcare bills because you didn't take care of your body in your 20s and 30s and 40s. Habits are what make people rich. And, and that works in the workplace too, right? If you want to be promoted, and maybe you don't want to be promoted and that's fine. But if you want to convince your boss to pay you more money, then you're going to have to do a good job at work. You're going to have to be there on time every day. You're going to have to perform well, communicate well, all those soft skills that make a big difference. Okay. You get put on a project, make sure the project gets done, take ownership. Okay. Or as I say, the buck stops here. Check out that episode if you haven't yet. Those are all things that will lead to you being successful in the financial world. And so getting those habits in place early and often. Okay, getting debt out of your life, not paying the bank money every month. Instead, you're paying yourself money every every month through investments. That will make you wealthy beyond what you could have ever imagined if you can do that early and often. Another highly undervalued characteristic is consistency. All right, there's going to be tons of things that happened in the next 35 years. All right, you think about the previous 35 years. You've got the Persian Gulf War. You got 9/11. You got the tech bubble. Uh, you got the housing crisis. You've got the coronavirus. I mean, those are just all the major world events that happened in the last 30 or 35 years. There's going to be similar stuff in the next 35 years. And they are scary. And they, it is okay to you know think about that and worry about that. But don't let it derail your financial train that's going to ride off into success. Okay. And by, by that, what I mean is always make sure you're taking care of your four walls, right? If you lose your job, obviously you're going to be investing less during that downturn. Okay. But when you start seeing stocks fall 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, if you're able to continue to invest through those, actually, if you can turn up the investments, turn up the percentage that you're investing, if you're able to, okay, and course correct where necessary. Yeah. You're going to have to slow down if you lose your job or if you're family members going through a significant health crisis. You know, just adjust your plans as needed, but try to continue to invest early and often and always. You know, speaking of course correction, it's funny, I had a, a student teacher come up to me, oh, this is probably five or six years ago, and he was student teaching for the science teacher in my building, and he was a younger guy and I was a younger guy, and he came up to me and he said, Jordan, how do you do this? How do you handle teaching. Like, I can't do this. I, I would go crazy. I mean, it's just, and I just said, and I actually forgot his name. So I apologize if you're out there listening to this, but I told him, look, it's like flying an airplane. It's like going on an airplane ride from New York to Los Angeles. I mean, it's kind of scary at first at the beginning of the school year, you're meeting all these new kids. You're taking, you know, this uphill ascent very quickly. Um, and then you get in the air and it's kind of rocky for a little while until you get your cruising altitude. And then you start to coast a little bit in the middle of the school year. And then, you know, you hit some turbulence and the plane's shaking and you're scared and people are spilling their drinks. You're heading over those rocky mountains. It's tough. 
And then, you know, it continues to hit that turbulence and shaking on the way down and you're descent. And then finally you brace for the final ending, right? Those final exams and, and wham, you hit the runway and it feels very scary. It gets real loud in the plane because the uh, air filters on the wings pop up and they're slowing you down at a rapid pace. And then it's smooth sailing from there and the flight's done. Okay, where it was easy before and afterwards, but when you were on the flight, it was kind of scary and shaky. That's what investing in the stock market is like over the long term. And the FAA has a very long track record of being one of the safest agencies. Our, our airspace here in America is one of the safest agencies in, in the world. Okay, it's significantly safer to fly an airplane uh, than to ride your car to the the airport. Okay, I was actually reading a different book by a guy named Charles Whelan, one of my favorite authors, and he talked about how, you know, parents wanted to have car seats in planes and how that would make kids safer in the event of turbulence and whatnot. And he made the point statistically that actually it wouldn't make kids safer. People, if there were car seats, would be less likely to fly in planes. Because they would have to purchase an additional ticket for their seat for their newborn or their toddler. And because of that, they would be more likely to drive. And because of that, there would be more accidents and therefore more deaths. So it's just one of those things that you don't really think through. You have to consider all the variables to get that to get that result. You know, teaching is is like a plane ride and your financial life is like a, a plane ride. It's scary at times, but it ends smooth almost 100% of the time as long as you've got your financial framework in place. Well, I certainly hope this little incident hasn't put you off flying, miss. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. And so before I let you go, I just want to run through some quick statistics because the title of this episode is The Millionaire Mindset. Okay, and that's what I want for my listeners to be. I want you to be millionaires. Okay, the time horizon's up to you. Here's a look at the statistics for average and median net worth in America today. And these statistics are from businessinsider.com. Okay, this is from an article that was written in June of 2022, so just a month or two ago. And here's what it has to say For people under the age of 35, the average net worth. Okay, this is assets minus liabilities. Okay, assets minus debts. Okay, $76,300. And the median net worth is $13,900 if you're under age 35. So if your net worth is over $76,000, congratulations, a nice job. You're doing, you're doing fantastic if you're under 35 years old. Okay, now this whole episode is about comparison, so don't compare yourself to other people. You don't know what these people's backgrounds are, where they come from, what their jobs are. Okay, somebody could have a million dollar uh, annual income, but still have a very small net worth because maybe they have a million different rental properties or something like that, and that might not be a bad thing for them. But that's just you know that's where these numbers can be skewed a little bit and not tell you the whole story. But this also tells me that 35 to 44 year olds, you're looking at the average net worth as $436,000 and the median as 91. Again, that's those outliers that are sort of um, skewing the, the average as opposed to the median there. 45 to 54 years old, 
$833,000 is the average net worth. Okay. The median is 168. Uh, last one I'm going to give you here, 55 to 64 year olds. You're looking at one point, almost $1.2 million as the average and the median as just over $200,000. All right. So hopefully to encourage you, look more at those median numbers. That's the middle person in that age bracket. So if you have a larger net worth than whatever that median number was for your age group, that means that you're doing better financially speaking than half the people in your age group. Okay. And hopefully if you track your net worth and you have a budget, you can see these numbers rise over time. And like I said earlier, it's kind of addicting. It's almost like a game and it's a fun and a good game to play. You don't want to be too into it. You don't want to be so obsessed with your finances that you're looking at your numbers every single day. I shared with you, with my wife, that we do our net worth statement uh, quarterly, okay? Which is maybe even a little ambitious. You might not even need to do it that that much. Some people just do it once or twice a year. But my point here is, you know, it's hard to look at this and go, wow, the average 60-year-old has uh, $1.2 million. That's what the numbers say, all right? But that's, you know, not according for the top 1% of income earners that own huge businesses that make billions of dollars that are kind of offsetting those numbers a little bit. So uh, the median net worth is is quite scary, actually. If you think about, you know, my episode on social security and how important that is for, for people. Uh, if you're looking at these net worth statements, that is sort of a scary statistic. And, and who knows what that stuff's invested in or if it's in cash and it's being eroded away by inflation. Uh, so that's by just having a really good understanding of you know, this millionaire mindset, the financial framework, the things we talk about in the show uh, is going to be crucial to your long-term success. So in closing, let's all let's all make an agreement with one another that I won't judge you and you won't judge me. Okay. And by that, I mean, I'm not going to let myself get sucked into the negative energy of I'm comparing my life to your life because you have totally different circumstances and you think differently than I think. And you have different aspirations than I have. You have a different financial background than I have and it's all good. All right. And same for you. You might have a totally different viewpoint on your goals and your, your life situation or your financial background than what I have. And so it's not right for you to judge me either. Purpose here is to, as I say, from day one, we get into, we started this podcast because there are a lot of things that I wasn't aware of 10 years ago that I'm aware of now. And these are things that I think are really important for young people to start thinking through or really whatever age you you are. And I speak more for myself than for any of, of you. So that's it for today. Hopefully you learned a little bit about different types of people and how they think about their, their income, their expenses, and their investments. Okay. Because if you can take control of maybe two of those three things. Okay. If you have high income and strong investments, then maybe it's okay to have a lot of expenses and to not think through every single penny that you're spending. Okay. And conversely, if you've got a really good income and you're really good at your controlling your expenses, then, you know, whatever you end up putting into your investments, you're probably going to be okay because you've controlled the other two. So whatever that combo is, obviously you want to have all three of those things, but we all have different mindsets towards money. Some of us are hustlers, some of us are investors, and some of us are optimizers, okay? You might be successful being a hustler and investor, but it's really hard to compare yourself to Warren Buffett. It's really hard to compare yourself to Phil Knight, okay? That's like top-level hustling and top-level investing, okay? You're probably not going to mirror what they do. 
but you can mirror an optimizer and think through your expenses, think through your income, make optimal investment decisions, and set yourself up for future success. Thank you for listening to the JP Money Show today. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan here, the host of the JP Money Show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please share it with others if you found it useful or helpful. And remember, this is not intended to be financial advice. You should consult a professional financial advisor to help you run the numbers and look at your own personal financial situation. Thank you. 